Okay, let's take a look now. Is one better? Um. Or is two better? Two for sure. Okay, great. Let's take another look. Is one better? Um. Or two? Two. So, Lord, thank you for the opportunity. <clears throat> God, <clears throat> that's great right before you teach. <clears throat> thank you for the opportunity, God, to be able to teach right now. Thank you for my staff, and thank you, Father God, for this church. Thank you, Lord, above everything else, that you are first in our priority and first in our lives. God, we want to demonstrate that right now. It's not just words to us. It's not just talk to us. God, it's above everything else. Lord, here's what we're praying as a staff and as a group of people for 2012 We want you to be first and foremost and lifted up in our lives, in our church, in everything that we do, Father. God, right now, we stop. It's still, still, Lord, there's there's almost two months into the beginning of the year. God, we don't want to, at the last minute, inject you as, oh yeah, what about God? We want to make you the priority of everything that we do for 2012. So right now, Father God, we focus our hearts on, God, on looking at our lives, on asking, God, what do we need to do to make it count? Father, I said this weekend, the way we finish is what people are going to remember. And the way we finish is found in our day-to-day lives. God, help us right now to make you the priority above everything else that we do. Father, we want you as the first and the foremost in our ministry, in our marriages, our families. Everything. So, Lord, we just give this time to you and we commit it to you. And we pray it in the only name under heaven by which we believe it to be true and powerful. His name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. This is uh, the first series for 2012. And oddly enough, uh, in this series, we're going to talk about the examined life. And I know some people are like, what is the examined life? How does that work? I think a lot of times when it comes to first of the year type teaching, uh, we always talk about goals. And then February rolls around and we wait for the next year to complete those goals. Um, what we're going to talk about with the examined life, the name of the series is called I Exam. And what we're going to talk about with the examined life is, is what an examined life looks like, how to have an examined life. How do we put God at the first and the front of everything that we're doing. And so, uh, do we play a part in that? Is it really something that, that we do? Do we just talk about it? How does it happen? So I put in your notes, uh, what is the examined life? And I'm going to use an Old Testament scripture. It's from Haggai chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Uh, and this is out of the New King James. It says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider. And the word consider there is the very word examine. If you were to uh, break it out in the Hebrew. It, you, could, you could actually put the word examine in place of the word consider. They're exactly the same. So consider or examine your ways. You have sown much, but you bring in very little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes in it. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider or examine your way. So let me just comment on those right there. I don't know if you ever think about it, but it seems to me, and I, I have, I've talked about this in the past, when you ask people today how they're doing, the common answer most people will give you is that I'm busy. How many of you say that? You know, how are you doing? I'm busy. And then when you ask people, what are you busy doing? Most people can't give you a direct answer for that. They're just busy doing stuff. And, and so I, I guess maybe one of the places that we want to look at first and foremost is to realize um, busyness doesn't necessarily equate to the idea of getting stuff done. You, you know, you can be busy and not get anything done. And so when we begin to examine ourselves, we're asking ourselves, okay, what, what does my life look like? So Haggai here, he, he does a couple things. He, he says, you've sown a lot, or we're working a lot, but we're bringing in just a little bit. We eat a lot, but we don't have enough. We drink, but we're not filled. We clothe ourselves, and no one is warm. And then we earn wages, and we're giving our wages, but we're only putting it in a bag with holes. Have you ever just considered your ways and ask yourself, is my life producing what I want it to produce? Am I getting out of it? I, I think what happens to us a lot of times is we always were future focused. If it's not happening right now, it's going to happen in the future. My question to you is, is there anything that we can do to kick it into gear now? Is there anything that we could start doing right now where this is happening, where it's working, where it's, it's going in direction? So I put down three diagnostic questions when it comes to the examined life. And the first one is just simply, where is God right now? Do you ever ask yourself, do you ever, we're, we're pastors, we're supposed to know that question. I, I remember um, not too, too long ago, there was a guy in the church, and I was talking to him just about prayer and how it seemed like, you, you know, you pray a lot, you're not, you're not always getting an answer to your prayer, and then when God answers my prayer, I was so excited, and the guy goes, isn't it like that all the time for a pastor? And, and I'm like, well, it's supposed to be, I know, but it doesn't seem like it always works out that way. Do you ever just stop and ask yourself the question, where is God right now? In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 and 7, this is what the Bible says. Now, it's Old Testament theology, but let me, let me, give me a chance to say it, because I think this is where a lot of us think, and then we don't realize what God's done for us. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on the Lord while he is near. And I think a lot of times we tend to run in the circle the idea that God, God runs in seasons or, or you know, there's, there's certain times that he's available to us, like, like uh, at, a, at a retreat or at a revival or something like that. But the truth of the matter is God is available to us all the time. When the Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found, he can be found every day all the time. Call on him while he's near. Where is he right now? Where is he in your life? Where is he in your ministry? Let's put down one of the bullet points. Your answer to this question reveals the level of intimacy that you're having with the Father. If I asked you, where is God right now in your life? Where is he in your marriage? Where is he in your ministry? Where is he in our church? Where is he? Because your answer to that question reveals the level of intimacy you're experiencing with the Father. If God feels distant to you, while that may be true in your mind or in your heart, the reality is God is present right here, right now. So where is God? Put down as an example, I sense his presence right now versus I'm not sure God and I are in the same zip code. Have you ever gone through those times where you feel like, man, he's just right here. He's everywhere I go. He beats me there. But then there's times you feel like God is very distant. What, what do we do about that? There, there's, there's a great example. And uh, many people in our church now have traveled to Israel with me. And I was just thinking about this. See if you can, you can relate to this, those who have gone to Israel. We go to the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, one of my favorite places to tour. 
are the tunnels that go down the western wall. And some of you sitting here right now, you're shaking your heads because you've, you've gone there with me and you know. And they've excavated down to the original foundational stones that Herod put in for the temple. And some of them are 40 feet long and they weigh 100 tons. And each one of them are, are carved. And how many of you, you, you realize as I'm talking about, you can remember what it looks like. Okay, there's a place when you're walking in that tunnel where you've got a bunch of Jewish women praying, and there's a sign on the wall, and it says on the other side of this wall, you are closest to the point right now of the Holy of Holies. I don't know if those who have visited remember that place right there, but it seems like uh, these, these Jewish women want to pray right there because in their mind, that, that's the closest place that represents God's presence. The Holy of Holies was where his spirit dwelt in the temple on the earth. And so for the people of that day, to go to the Holy of Holies, only, only the high priest could get into the Holy of Holies. Only a very select group of people could approach God. And so today what we have is people that they go in that tunnel and they, they want to touch the wall because on the other side of this place is the, the representation of the presence of God. But here's what Jesus taught. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Every one of you should have a sign on yourself that says, on the other side of the skin is the closest point to the presence of God right here in my heart. And what we don't recognize, when I say, where is God? It is easy as a believer just to put it into gear and to go and to get busy and you're doing stuff. Where's God in it? Is he first? Are you experiencing him every day? Do you see him in all that you're doing? Or do you find yourself, you're, you're just in cruise control, and if you were to stop and ask the question, ask right now, where's God? Did you meet with him this morning? Did you talk to him? Did he say anything back to you? Can you describe where the presence of God is found right now? Sometimes what we need to learn to do is to become present to his presence. He's supposed to be here. And we're supposed to be aware of it so that God, the proximity to God, we're supposed to be intimately acquainted with where God is. So if I ask the question, where is God right now? The answer to that really shows us the level of intimacy that you're experiencing right now. Your awareness of God's proximity is key for you to draw close to him. If you don't know where he is, how do you know where to go? Where is God? I think one of the things that we're being challenged with right now and that, that God is speaking to us is, is to, to so be aware of where, where God is moving and what God is doing. It, we, how do we lead that? How do we demonstrate that for the people if we're not experiencing it ourselves? Every pastor that listens to me right now, if you're not aware of where God is at in your ministry, how are you doing ministry? What are you doing? And as a, as a husband or a wife, if you're not aware of where God's presence is in your marriage, how are you doing marriage? I bet you're busy. I bet you're reading books. I bet you're praying. I bet you're trying hard. Where's the presence of God in it? I just have taught recently the idea that in Isaiah, there's a, there's a scripture that, that Isaiah, theologically, let me go here. I think that many believers are caught in theology before the cross and are not living theology after the cross. Okay, so for example, Isaiah writes these really powerful words. Uh, Lord, I wish that you would rend the heavens, tear the heavens, and that you would come to earth. 
And I hear so many believers praying prayers like, God, show up. God, we wish you were here. God, we want to give this to you. Show up. I, I hear that. God, show up. That's before the cross praying. My Bible says that in the Holy of Holies, there was a curtain that separated the people from the presence of God. And that the day Jesus died, when he said, it is finished, that curtain was ripped from the bottom to the top. And it was opened. And the presence of God now forever dwells with man or man with God, however you want to say it. But the bottom line is to pray prayers like God, rend the heavens and show up on earth. You're praying before the cross, not after the cross, and your head is stuck. Jesus is not the suffering servant who went to the cross. He is king of kings, lord of lords, foot on the neck of the devil. He has overcome, and therefore you are an overcomer. And if we don't get that and get established in that, then our prayers are messed up because we're praying, show up when God's already... You can't get the answer to your prayer. When you don't realize he's already answered it. Did you hear that? Where's God right now? The question, it's, it shouldn't be a difficult question for us to answer. God has made it possible. We should tap into his presence automatically. Ignorance over what he's done and ignorance over what we possess is how the devil operates in the believer's life to keep that person down. What's the ignorance of the law is no excuse. You ever heard that? Standing before a judge and telling him, I didn't know it was wrong to speed. I didn't know it was wrong to whatever. It's the judge's answer. Ignorance of the law is not an excuse. I would say to you, standing before God, what are we going to say? I didn't realize you were there. I didn't realize the power that was available to me. I didn't realize that you wanted to heal people. I didn't realize that you wanted to save people. I didn't realize. I mean, maybe the response would be, your ignorance of what I've done and what you possess is no excuse. When do we start acting like we know? Why don't we pray like we know? Where's God? How about this? Diagnostic questions on the examined life. Where are you? Now, I'm not trying to be philosophical. I'm not trying to be some mystic. Just a simple question. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve every day had this really cool relationship with God. He would come in the cool of the day, and he would walk with the man and the woman. When they ate of the fruit, the Bible says that their eyes were opened. They recognized that they were naked, and they began to flee from the presence of God. So God shows up normally, and the man is hiding behind a tree. So God asked the question, Adam... Where are you? That's Genesis 3.9. Where are you? Okay, real quickly. You recognize whenever God asks you a question, it's not because he lacks the knowledge. So we know that, right? Castle Rock people are learning that. But this is... Oh. That's not true. DJ, DJ Smith is one of the finest teachers we've got. It's actually Dan DeMay that struggles. No, uh, here's, here's, no. <laughs> Preach. Preach. <laughs> so when God asks a question, whenever God asks you a question, it's not for, he doesn't like the knowledge, you lack the knowledge. And the psychology there is just simply asking the question so that you answer the question, where are you? 
If you can answer where God is, it'll automatically give you the proximity of where you are. God asked the man this question, not because he lacked the knowledge, but because he wanted the man to understand. So I put down in your notes right here, we operate in life and end up in places without thinking how we got there. Have you ever counseled somebody who's in a bad place and you ask them how they got it and they don't, they'll tell you, I don't know. I'm unaware. How about this? It's easy to drift. Drifting is not an impossibility for anybody at any of our campuses who hears this message right now. Everyone can drift. It is possible to do that. Sometimes we can be so far away and not realize that we're so far away. That's why the examined life becomes a very powerful thing. Examine your ways. Are you reaping? Are you, are you full? Are you satisfied? Is it ha Examine your ways. Todd, people go through life for years without ever asking the question, how am I doing? How am I doing? How about this? When we feel, quote unquote, close to him, what was the difference between that and the guy who's so far away? I would submit to you most of the time, it's just being present to the presence of God. If you don't cultivate the relationship with him, you can find yourself very far away at times. When God asked the question, where are you? How about this? Who moved? God or you? Do you understand what I mean by that? Yep. God never changes. Jesus said these really powerful words. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. When Jesus was on the cross, he said this. My God, my God, why have you... Say it again. Why have you... At our creative team one time, this truth was revealed to us. Jesus put himself in the, or the Father put Jesus in the opposite place so that you and I never had to go there. For instance, Jesus was beaten so that you and I never had to be. Jesus was killed so that you and I never had to be. Jesus was rejected so that you and I never had to be. Jesus was forsaken because you and I never have to be forsaken from the presence of God. Listen to me. If you really get the work of Christ on the cross, anytime you feel like I'm separated from God, that's a lie from the devil. Jesus' work is a complete, when he said it is finished, do you believe it was finished? Was it a done deal or is it still in some type of revelation for later on? It's a done deal, correct? He was forsaken so that you and I, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was so that you and I never had to say to God, why have you forsaken me? All of our stuff has been taken out of the way, nailed to the cross of Christ, so that you and I are in complete relationship with the Father. When the Father looks at you, he sees the work of Jesus. And if we don't take that serious and really get that, then we do not enjoy the presence of the Father. What we're doing is trying to make ourselves worthy to get into the presence. It's the difference of living for or from the smile of God. You're living for it, you're working hard to get it. You're living from it, you're free. You're in his presence, and man, it's like, it's like trying to teach people on how to handle sin. Your issue with sin, let Jesus work in your life. He was in the direct opposite place so that you could be in the right place. All right, let me, let me just 
wind it up here. So the examine life, where's God, where are you? How about this? Check your heart, okay, real quickly. All of our campuses, all of our church, if you've been here any length of time, how many times have I talked about guarding your heart? Once a week? Am I, am I redundant with that subject or what? I teach that all the time. Why teach that? Okay, I, I want you to hear. This is not, this would not just be for leaders. This would not just be for pastors. Uh, this is not for the elderly. This is for every believer. The number one area where I have seen the enemy take down believers is in the heart. Proverbs 4, the most powerful words that you will read in your responsibility for your life. Above all else, guard your heart. People pray this way all the time. Pastor, would you pray for my heart? Pastor, would you pray that God guards my heart? Pastor, would you pray that people will guard? No one's going to guard. Your spiritual responsibility is your responsibility. Check your heart. One of my favorite teachers and authors is Andy Stanley. He's got a great church called North Point in Atlanta. He wrote a book called Enemies of the Heart. He deals with the very issue of Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. He makes this really interesting observation. He says, your heart, just like the dashboard of a car, has warning lights on it. And if you don't pay attention to the warning lights, you risk failure. You ever driven a car and had a light go off? What do you do? I know, at times, I've turned the radio louder. <laughs> if you go to Grease Monkey, they'll turn the light off for you. For 10 or 15 bucks, it doesn't fix the problem, but it pulls your attention away from it. Listen to me. So what people tend to do is to pull their attention away from things that God intentionally designed to get your attention. When, when you are angry, you have a warning light going off. Pay attention to it and fix it. Anger is not a fruit of the Spirit. So you're like, wait a minute, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> anger is not a fruit of the Spirit. Anger is a work of the flesh. When we find anger going off in our life in a consistent manner, it's a warning light that's flashing. Pay attention to it. Your heart, if you're experiencing joy or anger, is something you should pay attention to. How about this? Okay, I've got high blood pressure. I have to take three medications every morning to get my blood pressure under control and then my responsibility listen to this i've got this monitor where i've got to check my blood pressure every day all right listen just because i don't want to check it does not mean i don't have high blood pressure <laughs> did you hear that i have done that before just go on days without checking it because it's easier to ignore it than it is to pay attention to it and do something about it. Your heart is the exact same way. You must check your heart. How's your prayer life? Gosh, that's quiet. How about this? Conversation happens between people when everything's normal. When it's not normal, we don't talk. Think about a couple in a fight. When you're in a fight, you get silent. Anybody? I mean, come on. Somebody help me out here. That's abnormal, yes? 
Right, Holly, that's abnormal. You quit talking. When things are right, you talk. You enjoy. If you don't enjoy their company and their presence, why'd you marry them? Oh, dear Lord. This <laughs> conversation happens when all is normal. How is your prayer life? Prayer is supposed to be a two-way conversation. It is not supposed to be your list. You just spill it out, and then you take off. Prayer is supposed to be talking and listening. Talking and listening. When everything's normal, you're talking and you're listening. When it's not normal, you reserve yourself. How's your spiritual life? Are you enjoying the life of God, the abundant life? Or does that feel choked off inside of you? Again, it's a warning light. It's not that you're bad. It's not that you've got a lemon. It's that something's wrong. Adjust it. Check it out. All right, let me give you three things you can do this week if you're serious about the examined life. Three things that you can do this week. Three things that every campus can participate in. The first one is stop. Psalms 46.10, David wrote, Be still. Know that I'm God. When's the last time you were just still? I would submit to you, most people are not still. They're everything but still. And in fact, being still runs counter-cultural to the way that we're raised. We are busy, we are cranking, we are producing, but we are not still before the Lord. When's the last time you were still? When's the last time you just stopped to listen? When's the last time you asked God, where are you, where am I, and what's going on in my heart? If you are unwilling to stop, you will never hear the answer to those questions. Ask. Psalms 51.6. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the hidden issues. The Bible says he is like a light that will shine on the issues of your life. When's the last time the Holy Spirit revealed anything to you about what's happening inside of you? When's the last time God talked to you? When's the last time you had your spiritual bell rung? The third one, you can do it this week if you're serious, measure. Measure progress in your life. Measure what's happening. Revelations 2.5, Jesus says this, Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Okay, look at me real quickly. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Yes or no, that's measurement. Colby, think about it. He's telling us to remember how far, how far, that's measurement. Jesus wants you to measure your spiritual heat. Take your spiritual temperature. Find out how you're doing. Ask yourself, what's going on in my life? The number one area where I know men and women are attacked in life is their heart. Your heart controls your life. When your heart is good, life is good. When your heart is in trouble, your life gets in trouble. Measure how are you doing right now? And then here's the great thing about it. You don't have to stay in the position that you find yourself in. The power of the gospel. Man, how many times have I said this over the years? The power of the gospel, it doesn't change the past. It alters the future. Well, none of us can do anything about what happened behind us. We can only look at what's in front of us. The power of the gospel changes your future. Where do you want to be tomorrow? Jesus doesn't want you lukewarm. I thought about this driving over to do this message. Yes, he wants you hot. He doesn't want you lukewarm, and he doesn't want you casual. He wants you hot. I think probably the battle for most of us is not lukewarmness. 
Jesus. You're probably not going to church today if you're just lukewarm. But it is easy to be casual. It's easy to live life and not check and examine and find out how you're doing. Are you on fire, man? Are you passionate? Is it happening in your life? And if it's not, do something about it. Just do something about it. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you and to bring life to you right now. All right, so what would you do with this message if it means anything to you whatsoever? If you want 2012 to be your best year ever, then let me ask. Best year ever. That's what you want. Best year ever. What are you going to do about it? Some are like, well, if God will show up, he already has. He's here. His power is here. His revelation is here. His truth is here. 2012, best year ever. What are we going to do about it? I would say right now, you tell him, God, I'm going to examine my ways. Create in me that clean heart. Shine your light on anything in my life that's not where it should be. Show me, move me, teach me, help me. What you want? Okay. All right, so Father, that's exactly what we asked for. 2012 to be the best year ever. We don't want it to be a throwaway year. We don't want it to be a throwaway time. We don't want 2012 to come and go and our focus ends up on 2013. Lord, for some of us, we thought 2011 was going to be the year and it wasn't. God, I'm asking right now that you, with the power of the Holy Spirit, would reveal to us what our lives are supposed to look like. Father, we don't want mediocrity. We don't want to just coast. We don't want to just go through the motions. We want it to count. We want to be passionate. We want every day, how we finish is how we're going to be remembered. And the way we finish is found in our daily routine. Church, did you hear that? The way we finish is found in the daily routine. What's happening in your life and in your heart right now? Father, speak to us and draw us to you. God, cause your truth, your revelation, your understanding to be known inside of us. We want to know you. We want to be hot for you. Father, bring out of us anything, anything that's wrong. God, we surrender every area of our life to you right now. And God, the things that are right, the things that you want to capitalize on, reinforce those things inside of us right now. God, we commit this to you. We commit... God, 2012, let it be the best year ever. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right.